World War II. It's known as the greatest generation. And these are their stories. It's the World War II Project. This is the Americhicks with your host, Kim Munson. Hey, welcome to the Americhicks World War II Project. I'm Kim Munson. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure and check out my website, americhicks.com. All of our shows are archived there. And uh, as many of you know, this show precipitated from a trip that I took with a a group that took four D-Day veterans back to Normandy in 2016. Return back to America, just realizing that we need to capture these stories. These guys are in their 90s now. They were 16, 17, 18, 19 years old when they stepped up and they stood against uh, tyranny in, uh, in the European theater. And also when the, and they stood against tyranny in the Pacific theater as well. Thrilled to have on the line with me, Andre Chapaz. And uh, Andre, welcome. Pleasure being here. Okay, and you are a World War II veteran. Yes, I am. Okay, and you built an airfield in the Pacific Theater, right? Uh, correct, uh, in the Marianas, which means uh, Guam and uh, Saipan and Tinian. But um, there were four battalions in my group. There was the 1884, the 1885th, which was my unit, the 1886 and the 1889, and we worked on Guam. Uh, the CBs took care of Tinian and Saipan. And um, um, uh, we uh, we built, uh, we worked on three airfields, uh, Harmon Field, uh, North Field, and Northwest Field. Um, as we went back about a, few, a week ago, I learned that Harmon Field has become an industrial park. Uh, North Field is the military airfield now. It's called Anderson Field. And uh, Northwest Field uh, was abandoned, but uh, I heard that uh, the Marines who are being chased out of Okinawa are going to occupy it. There will be a helicopter outfit will be located there. So, yeah, so... We uh, we built the first uh, between airfield. It was just ready after they made their they they took off from China and made their bomb run over Japan, and then they headed deep into the Pacific. And uh, we had our fields ready. Um, we built our field in 54 days and um, it was kind of a record we got a uh, accommodation for it yes and how many days andre was that 54 days 54 you know it takes like a number of years to try to get a you know some construction done on a highway here and you were able to build an airfield in 54 days i think we should hire you you again you know what yes um one interesting thing about about uh, the airfield is that the Japanese had uh, tried to build, were in the process of building an airfield. They had cleared the jungle, and um, uh, but. I noticed they only had one bulldozer, and they were using, they had a little narrow-gauge railway like they use in the mines, and they had uh, wagons in which they used used, uh, uh, human labor to dump in rocks and move rocks from one spot to another. You know, 
we came in there, each battalion had at least four bulldozers. They had road graders. They had uh, turner poles. I mean, you know, it shows our industrial power. Now, the, when the, the man who, who planned Pearl Harbor for 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 Japan, uh, uh, Yamamoto, Hiroku Yamamoto, he, he he was an attaché in Washington in the thirties, so he knew all sea, he knew all the men who were his foes that he had to face during World War Two. He knew Halsey and and Nimitz. These guys played cards together, and and he had great respect for the United States, and he knew Americans' industrial power, and when. The people in charge of Japan, the militarists, decided, you know, they were going to start a war with us. He wasn't for it, but once they had decided so, he told them, I can give you only victories for six months. Beyond that, I can't help you. Because he knew of our American industrial power, which was shown right there with our equipment compared to what they had. And um, yes, so. Well, and Andre, it how did very, how, how did you get revealing. how did you get all that equipment uh, to those islands so that you could build those airfields? How did you get that all there? Uh, on LSTs, uh, on the, on uh, uh, LSTs was a, a big um, uh, amphibious. Uh, 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 craft in which they they carry tanks, heavy equipment, and troops. Oh yeah, they, there was room enough uh, to to charge uh, several LSTs and and put in all the all the uh, earth moving equipment. Yes, yes. Uh, that's another factor uh, that people you know don't realize. In December 7th, 1941, when we were attacked, we had none of those uh, special craft for amphibious warfare. Those crafts were designed and built while the war was going on. It was an amazing feat that we were able to do this, and it showed uh, our... I mean, we had the men, the men with the ideas, the creativity to create these air, these amphibious craft, you know, for for these amphibious landings. Yeah, I mean, this was amazing what this country did. I mean, you know, they they actually built some of those LSTs in the middle of the United States, uh, in the Midwest, and they floated them down the Mississippi <laughs> once they were ready. You know, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, I mean, it was total war, and everybody went to work. Well, you know, in the families, they, 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 everybody went to work, and uh, so yeah, so they, we, uh, yeah, all that equipment was was put on LSTs, and. Uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, they were flat-bottom boats, and they were built to carry tanks and that type of equipment. Yeah, uh, they they rocked a lot because they were flat-bottom, uh, uh, but uh, 
Well, and how did they get the flat butt? How did they get the LSTs all across the Pacific Ocean so that you could land at Guam oh, and they, Tinian uh, and they, Saipan? They, they, could, they could sail by themselves. Of course, if you were a crewman aboard them, <laughs> I mean, you, you had to get used to a lot of, a lot of rocking back and forth. Uh, uh, I'm sure. No, but they they could they could sail across the sea by themselves. They were big enough and strong enough to do so. Yeah. Um, other uh, most of the landing craft for the troops, the LCVPs, those were carried aboard uh, troop ships, uh, especially the what they call the APA. Uh, that was a naval transport, an attack transport. They were carried aboard these ships, and so they put them uh, at sea uh, just before the, uh, they were to invade a particular island yeah okay yes. okay well let, let's go let's go back a little bit uh, and let's talk a little bit about your particular history now where did yeah. you grow up andre well um i was born of uh, french parents i was born in san francisco okay uh in 1925 and uh but for family reasons my parents had to go back to France, so I went back to France when I was four years old. So we lived there. My father worked in the suburbs of Paris, and um, um, uh, as the years went by, France became into came into uh, political and social chaos. Um, politically, uh, there was a lot of dissension in France caused by the right and the left, and uh, especially the left. You know, the, 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 the left demoralized the people. They, 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 was, they, they, they were blaming the have-nots. They, they turned the, the have-nots against the people who, 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 have, who had the good things of life. And uh, there were riots in Paris in 1935, 1936, and, uh, and German was rearming. And uh, uh, so uh, friends were telling my father, you know, there's a war coming. And uh, uh, my father had served in the American army in World War One, because he had come to the, to, the, to the States before World War One, And when America entered World War One in 1917, my father felt an obligation to France, so he enlisted in the American Army. So he went over there as an American soldier. So then he came back afterwards and, and started his own business. But... But uh, while we were in France, in those chaotic days, um, uh, my f- father saw the, the future in the horizon uh, with the, the disunity that existed in France at the time. It was obvious uh, <laughs> that the French could not stand against the German war machine. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Germans have been working for years there in building their war machine, and uh, the France had not. And and also, I would say, uh, the France really had not recovered from World War One. Uh, 
they, they really had suffered. They lost a lot of men in World War One, and they really hadn't recovered for it. And I'm sure a lot of them in their hearts couldn't see going through that again. Mm-hmm. So France was uh, France. France within a week, say really, and uh, so my my dad he he got in touch with Washington and asked whether they could come back. So we came back in '37, okay. two years before okay. the war started. Okay, yeah. and you were living so again. That, 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 so I, I spent eight years in France in the school system, whatever. So yeah, that's why I still have an accent. You know. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Now, did yes. you move back to San Francisco then? Yeah. Yeah, we moved back to San Francisco. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. uh, where were you when you uh, heard that World uh, that Pearl Harbor had been bombed? Oh. Um, my father was in a hotel business in San Francisco, and it was Sunday, and we were having uh, uh, we were having lunch, and uh, the radio was on, and I, I used to listen to Andre Castellanos. I think he he was sponsored by a a, a, a soft drink company, and they interrupted. We it was near the end of the meal, and we they interrupted the, the program to inform us that. Pearl Harbor uh, had been bombed. Yes, yeah. And what went through your mind at that time? Uh, well, I was I was I was I seventeen, I was, and um, um, I thought, wow. And uh, but I was not too politically astute uh, at that time. I remember walking in the. In the uh, in the um, uh, the lobby there, where um, uh, uh, where the, some of the people in the hotel used to sit and you know, read their papers, and, and I remember one said, "Oh, oh, we, you know, the Japanese with their tin can navy will will beat them in six months," and, <laughs> and uh, so. Um, I mean, I, you know, I went on, we went on with our lives, and, uh, um... Well, tell me, tell me, Andre, how how did yes. you then end up in the service? This was, um, in, uh... Well... Oh, go ahead. Well, uh, from high school, I, uh, I won a art scholarship. I, I, I was inclined toward the arts, uh, to the California School of Fine Arts, which was one of the um, one of the best schools in the state, uh, it's located on Russian Hill, uh, and it was it was designed as an art school with north lights and skylights, and uh, um, so I got I, I won a scholarship there. And while I was there, uh, by that time the war had, had started. It was 1942. Uh, and one day an officer showed up, and he was a captain, Captain Watson, and he was he was uh, he had the plan of of collecting artists and forming a company, and they would be connected to an army headquarters uh, where they would do graphics. 
Okay. So oh, this sounded great. My, yeah. I, I had a friend there named Harold, and he was a year older than I was, and he jumped at it immediately. And I thought, oh, this is great. Yeah, I'm going I'm going with you, but they wouldn't accept me because I was only 17. Uh, so, but the captain said, I'll put your name on the list. And when you get to be 18, you rush down to your draft board and you request a voluntary induction. So when I, when I turned 18, that's what I did. And so I, I'm going down to the bottom of Market Street, and I went through my physical, spending the whole day uh, running up and down this, this building half-naked as <laughs> they examine you. And finally, when I passed, uh, I passed, and uh, uh, if you pass, you, you got a 21-day furlough where, before you reported to your uh, reception center. But I was so eager to go and to be a soldier. You know, I thought it was it would be great, you know, to to be a soldier, and that I forgot I, my 21 day furlough, and so I took the train to uh, the Presidio of Monterey. and uh, there I took all my tests and. Uh, uh, I got a uniform and so on and so on, and then I was I was sent to uh, Hamilton Field, which was located north of uh, San Francisco. Okay, Andre, let's stop right there. Let's go to break, and we'll take it up when you got to Pendleton Field. Before we do that, though. Uh, The the NHL playoffs and the NBA playoffs are underway. And Hooters Restaurants is my sports headquarters. Hooters is the place to watch all the games. The Rockies are underway as well. And at Hooters, Wednesday is wing day. It's all the wings you can eat for $14.99. Their smoked wings are fabulous. They're delectable and only half the calories. And Hooters wings can fly. You can have them delivered to your front door. You can pick them up to go. Or, of course, you can watch the games right there at the restaurant. So for more information, visit HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. And let them know that you know the AmeriChicks. So this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks, the World War II Project. We're talking with World War II veteran Andre Chapaz, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. All of these shows are archived there. I am thrilled to have on the line with me Andre Chapaz. He is 94 years old, and he is a World War II veteran. He served in the Pacific Theater. And before we went to break, we were talking about how he got into the service. And let's pick it up from where you were right there, Andre. And that's where you said that you went to Camp Pendleton. So what happened there? Uh no, I, I, it was uh, Hamilton Field, and uh, oh, okay. they put me in. They put me in in casual barracks, and they they forgot about me. And I, I went there for a couple of weeks, <laughs> and life was great. I mean, I uh, you know the Air Force always served great food. They always had the best of everything. I've heard that. And I remember being in the, in, in the chow hall, and there were two soldiers who came in there, and they were bronzed. 
and lean like they'd been in the desert, they'd been training. And they sat next to me, and they were wolfing down their food, and one of them said to the other, gee, at least here they try and feed you. I heard that. I thought to myself, you mean it's not like this all the time? <laughs> so um, so I, I wound around there for about a couple of weeks, and, and they forgot about me. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great, <laughs> uh, you know, if I'm going to spend the war like this. Finally, one day I was called to an office, and I was – and. Uh, I was told that uh, my whatever I had wished to be inducted into the 914th engineer was not going to happen because the unit had been training for eight months along Reading, someplace in California, and I hadn't had any basic training, so I could not possibly be assigned to that unit. So it's the last I ever heard of the 914th engineer and, and my hopes of doing artwork. So they cut orders for me and sent me uh, to Southern California, to March Field. At March Field, you had where they were training and they were activating Engineer Aviation Battalion, whose, whose main uh, mission was to build airfield. So this is how I got into the 1885th Engineers. And uh, so we trained in, in the desert. We, we started uh, with hikes, and uh, it in those days, they needed to form units quickly. Today, the infantry, the Marines, they get 10 weeks, 16 weeks basic training. We only got six. Wow. So they had us really running day and night. But you know, at the end of four weeks, I was able to walk, you know, 26 miles carrying 50-pound 50, 50 uh, uh, full-field pack. Wow. So, so the training worked. It worked. And afterwards, I was assigned to the 1885th Engineers, who had been activated activated there in uh, in in uh, April uh, 1943. Yeah. Okay. So now, so at that time, Andre, what were you hearing about uh, what was going on? At the war, were you getting much information regarding what was happening uh, out in the Pacific at that time? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, oh yes, yes. Um, and um, this is an aside uh, about my disposition in 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 the thirties and the late thirties, early forties. Uh, Hollywood made all these movies about the size, and I loved them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it was uh, it was uh, the Hurricane with Dorothy Lamour and John Hall. There was uh, How Jungle Love with Remy Land and Dorothy Lamour. There was all these these beautiful movies and. I, I, I love the setting, the, the the magic islands with the the white the the, the white beaches with the, the with the old coconut trees and and the beautiful ocean. 
Uh-huh. And uh, uh, I, I, I had an uh, inside wish to, you know, to, I'd like to go there instead of Europe because, you know, I could have gone to Europe since I, I could speak French. Sure. But, but, but I. I, I I had a yen to, to go to, to the Pacific. I mean, uh, I mean, it, it might sound very immature, and, and perhaps I was, but but I, I wanted to see these beautiful islands, and uh, uh, in a way, I got my wish. Yeah, I guess you did. I got my wish because they were beautiful. I mean, if you could divorce myself yourself from the war and accept the natural beauty there, you know, the coconut groves and, and the white beaches and the warm seas and, and the beautiful colors of the iridescence on the beaches, uh, it, it was beautiful, you know. And uh, so... Um, um, uh, uh, so, but of course, uh, there was the other part. I mean, we when we landed on Guam. I mean, first of all, we were on this ship, uh, this troop ship. We we sailed from Fort Lawton. We sailed to. Uh, uh, to Oahu, we were at Schofield Barracks for a month. And of course, they didn't tell us anything about where we were going. Okay. And after a month, we loaded ship, and uh, we uh, once we were at sea, they told us we were on our way to Guam. That was our destination. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> They could simply do that because there was nobody who was going to go out on a pass and start to babble, you know, uh, mm-hmm. what we were, you know, what what the the destination, uh, you know, that, that would give spies inf- a lot of information. They could put things together and 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 perhaps anticipate what we were going to do. So we were at sea over a month 41 days we were at sea and um, in our pacific history personally we were aboard four troop ships one they were one two were average one was a hellhole and one was superior and the cape clear uh, to Guam was a hellhole. I mean, um, what happened? Well, you know, it, it's you know, it's part of war. This is what happens at war. Uh, the the Marines were ahead of us. We, the Marines had to land on Guam and take it from the Japanese before we could come in. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't follow the Marines. So, how long it, would it take the Marines? That, that was an own quality. We couldn't come in while they were fighting. Mm-hmm. We had to wait. So, so we waited at NOE talk. We waited at Quadraline. We spent maybe a week there waiting. And, uh, but, but the, the food was 
was not too good about this ship. They only had two meals a day. We didn't get any fresh meat, no vegetables, and no fruit. I, I developed a, a prickly heat rash in my back and under my armpits, and it, it, it was miserable. I mean, uh, until the evening when the air cooled off, because those ships were very hot in in the waters that we were sailing. You got the heat from the engine room, and then you got the heat from the deck plates where where the sun really hit real hard. Mm-hmm. And you, you had to get up real early in the morning to get a shady spot on the deck because most of the men didn't stay inside the ship during the day. They were on the decks. So they were all jockeying for spot, you know, where they get a little shade. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, um, uh, so you're saying you had to get uh, well, up pretty early to get a shady we, spot, okay? We, pardon me. You said you had to get up early to get a shady spot. You had the heat rash. It was really, really hot. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, we had to eat. We ate standing up, and. And we had to wear our, our, our fatigue jacket, and you could watch the sweat from the guy in front of you, you know, coming on his back and 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 where and from his armpits. I mean, I mean, the sweat used to drip wow. from, my, from my face into my uh, mess kit, oh, and you know, and down my arm and down my my fingers in, into the mess kit. Oh, oh um, and. I, I, uh, well, yeah, I learned after the war uh, that the cause for these rashes was uh, the loss of vitamin C, the loss because of over-sweating. Over and therefore, uh, since we were not eating citrus, we weren't getting uh, you know, enough vitamin C to offset uh, you know, getting these rashes. And, uh, yeah, I've heard so, that those were really, really uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, um, well, you know, that's the way war is. The closer you get to the war, the more things become uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the army didn't try, you know, to make things too comfortable because you had to get used to live, uh, to be uh, in situations where it was uncomfortable. So, so we were on our way. And, um, um, uh, um, so you're waiting, Andre, you're waiting to go on to uh, Guam, and well, the Marines are ahead of you. Okay, so we finally got to Guam, and there was an air, an air raid alert of Japanese coming down from here, probably Iwo Jima, and uh, raiding the, uh, uh, the Marianas. And... Uh, uh, that was one of my first experiences where I began, you know, to feel uh, to feel the the danger because here I was aboard a ship and I couldn't dig a hole to protect myself and I, I just had to stay where I was. There was no place in the ship where, where I could be feel safe right. because depending on where the bombs drop, uh-huh. you know. So. Uh, 
So what happened so then? We, Did you, what, so what then, went through your mind when you saw the Japanese uh, planes on the horizon? What what did no, you? No, I, I didn't. We didn't see them. Okay. Uh, we didn't see them. Uh, uh, they they didn't come down as far as Guam. I think they they were halted at Saipan. Okay. But, but still, I had the you know the, the uh, that the feelings you know that uh, uh, you know, what I would feel if they you know actually came and started hitting our ship. So we got off our ship and. Uh, we landed and we were trucked north, and we were bivouacked uh, in this coconut grove. Uh, uh, it was a very unhealthy place. First of all, um, that night, uh, well, I, I got to start from the beginning here. Uh, I almost got killed that night by my own people because the there was the 1889 was was bivouac below us and the trucks were bringing in supplies from from the LSTs from the beaches and they were going into their area. So my sergeant tells me, "You go down the road." And you signal this truck up our way. So it's 11 o'clock at night, and I'm grabbing my helmet, my my rifle, and 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 my raincoat, and I start walking all by myself. And in the 1889, you know, the men were nervous because now the the Marines had defeated. It decimated the Japanese units, but there were a lot of units. The men were still running loose. They they lost their their, their unity, but they were running loose all over the island. So the men were on guard. Many of these men, it was their first time in in an area. You know, uh, that you, you were touching war, so they were nervous. Anxious and fearful, and they were all parked by the trunks of these coconut trees. Okay. And they saw me come down, and they thought I was Japanese. Oh dear. And it was only because one of their uh, uh, non-com officers, some corporal or sergeant, told them, you know, hold it. So, so I came in there and I sat down for about five, ten minutes. And then I heard this voice behind me. He said, hey, 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 are you, are you a yank? I said, yeah. I said, did you see me, guy? Did you see me walk down the road? Yeah, he says, we saw you, but we thought you were Japanese. Oh, my gosh. And, but, but you see, this is the way things happen at war. Uh, nobody would have been blamed. This is just, in war, you cannot guarantee all conditions. Things happen, you know, one on top of another. Uh, this is what happens. Nobody could have been blamed if I had been killed, you know, right. because someone needed to go down the road and, and tell the truck crew to go up the road, you know. And so, anyway, uh, but this this bivouac was a hellhole because there'd been a firefight there before between 
the Japanese and the Marines, and many of the Japanese casualties had been buried in shallow graves and others. Uh, uh, they had body parts sticking out of the ground, and, and uh, it was a stench. Oh, and when it rained, they, every day it would rain. It would be a squall would come through, and it would just drench everything. And after that, the sun would come out, and, and steam would come out of the earth. And uh, a lot of guys couldn't eat. We had we couldn't eat in this setting. There was one fellow that I was watching him. He was getting thinner every day. His cheekbones were beginning to protrude. Uh, finally, uh, someone must have got to the officer and says, "You know." Uh, you got to move these men out of there. They're, they're getting sick. They're all sick. So they moved us to Tumont Bay, and, and that was that was um, uh, that was heaven. Okay. Hey, Andre, uh, let's stop right there. Let's go to break, and when we come okay. back, we have one more segment. And okay. uh, so you're moved to this uh, new new location, and uh, so let's go to break. When we come back, we'll hear about that. This is Kim Munson with the Americhicks World War II Project, and we'll be right back with Andre Chapaz. <laughs> Okay, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with uh, with Kim Munson. This is our World War II project. Uh, I am talking with Andre Chapaz. He is a World War II veteran. He was uh, served with the Army Engineers, and they built airfields on Guam. And uh, we've learned he's now landed on Guam, and uh, they have been moved from a, a hellhole to Tumon Bay. You said that was heaven, if there is a heaven when you're at war. Tell us about that, Andre. Yeah, but be- before... Uh, before I want to speak about Tumon Bay, I want to mention that we were, when we were in the hellhole, we, we came down with dengue fever, um, uh, dysentery, heat exhaustion. Uh, not only that, but you know we we were so thirsty. I, ne- I never had such a thirst, a fierce thirst as this. So we knocked down green coconuts. And drank the milk, but the, game, the milk gave us diarrhea. Oh my gosh. So we were really a mess. Uh, uh, yeah. And uh, but Tumon Bay was beautiful. Uh, we regained our health there, and we we they gave us lumber, lumber, and we created floors for six-man pyramidal tents. And we got cots. We got mosquito netting. So life got much better there, okay. and um, we were close to the ocean, and there was a breeze that blew the mosquitoes away. It was wonderful, and and just probably two weeks ago, I was back at Tumon Bay. I could not recognize it. <laughs> it was like downtown Miami. They, they have resorts there and and street paved roads and. That's awesome. So you were back just when you went back two weeks ago? Yes, 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 yes. And uh, so our story, uh, we were there for several months, and then we moved north to build uh, Northwest Field. Okay. And uh, while we were there, um, well, 
I forgot to mention, one of my first jobs, I was a private, you know, so we, we, we don't do, ero- I mean, uh, uh, we do a lot of laboring work, nothing anybody would make a movie about. But one of my first uh, job when we landed on Guam, when we, 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 they were planning to, to build an airfield, uh, at, uh, which became Harmon Field. Um, one of my first job was to locate unexploded ordnance. So what they oh, nice. did, they would they would take they would take a couple of platoons, line them up in one line. You would take your rifle, fix bayonets, and you move forward, plotting the ground. And there was a man with a chart, and if we hit any unexploded ordnance or, uh, God forbid, a mine, uh, you would mark it on a chart. And later on, uh, a, um, another crew would come back, extricate, the, uh, deactivate the weapon or the, the ordnance, and we'd dump it in the ocean. Yeah. So uh, when we moved north, um, I, I became part of a patrol. We, the, the fields had been established, and the Air Force units had moved in, and they needed water. Okay. So the Guamians guides, they knew where the water was. So, but the water was in a valley facing the ocean on the northwest side of Guam. Um, and there were a lot of Japanese holding out there who had not surrendered. So I was, I was in a, uh, a patrol. I, I, I think we were, it was probably a dozen of us, the first patrol. We had to locate the well, but we had to go down cliffs, very steep cliffs. And um, the, the, the stones were very smooth, so the only way we could go down and, and keep our balance and to hang on, the Marines had been down there before, and they'd laid some telegraph wire. So we hung on to the telegraph wire as we went down to the bottom of the valley. And, and there it was thick jungles, I mean, where the air... The breeze from the ocean did not penetrate, and we began to sweat until we got to the uh, uh, to the water's edge. And and uh, uh, with the with the uh, and guys, we found the well. And so then uh, we we went back up, and then we had to go back down again to test the well, to test its capacity. So they managed to get some motors down there, some pumps, to pump the well to find out, you know, what its capacity was. And I, I was on every patrol that went back down there. And uh, uh, I remember one night we didn't come back up to the camp. We stayed. We stayed down in the valley, and so we had to be careful because some of the Japanese might be moving at night. 
uh, maybe they knew we were there, or maybe they didn't know we were there. And I remember we, 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 there were about six of us, and we were close to the ocean there, uh, on the edge of the jungle. And one of us stayed on guard with the other, uh, the others were sleeping. And I remember a coconut dropped and hit the ground. And by the way, everybody was awake. Oh, <laughs> my, I'm sure. <laughs> they thought, they thought, you know, uh, some, one of the enemy was, was, you know, was circling us or something. And uh, so uh, I went down there. <clears throat> um, uh, I, I think I was on every patrol that went down into the valley. And did you ever encounter uh, any uh, Japanese, Andre? Uh, uh, well, one night, no, we we were there uh, almost. There was a time when we were there for almost a week. We we stayed down there, okay. so we we had we had. Uh, 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 we, we were camped close to the beach so that the mosquitoes, uh, the breeze would hold back the mosquitoes. And they'd given us cots, and we sang the cots in the sand, and we took our shelter half, which was part, half of our pup tent, and put it over on top in case it rained. Okay. And uh, we, were, we were on duty at night. We, we dug foxhole. We had two man foxholes. And we dug, uh, it was, we were on duty for about two, uh, two and a half hours. And I was off duty and I was asleep when I heard firing. And I, I could tell the car, the M1, uh, and the Thompson. Okay. And I grabbed my rifle and I quick and I started heading towards the firing. But that, then all of a sudden I said to myself, I mean, I'm going to see shadows in the darkness, bodies moving. If the, if the Japanese have come in, how can I tell which is Japanese and which is our guys? I, we're going to be shooting each other. So I stopped. Wow. In my tracks and I waited. And and then through through the bushes, I saw a phone come through, and I recognized Big Willie. He was he had the Thompson. I said, "What happened?" Well, he says, "Well, uh, we just shot down a couple of Japanese soldiers." And uh, uh, what had happened was our, our our guard he heard some noise. And, and he turned on his flashlight, and there were three Japanese standing there. Oh, my gosh. And, and uh, originally, he wouldn't have used the, the flashlight. He, he, he would have fired. But two nights above, before, our captain had come down. Our captain was always, uh, one, you know, he was always thinking that we were goofing out someplace. So he was trying to always uh, find us. Uh, not doing what we supposed to do. So he was always sneaking around at odd times. But <laughs> what he did was very dangerous. Yeah. Because he, he could have run against some Japanese who were on the trail. And all he had was a forty-five, and he had a, a KP uh, uh, with him, and this guy was even unarmed. 
So that's why, you know, he, he used a flashlight. So what happened was one of those Japanese, he, he ran into our, our camp. All of a sudden, he realized we were there. He turned around, and he ran out, and he kept running. And, and our, our, our men started hitting him, and he had this a grenade. And instead of throwing the grenade at our men, he, he pushed, he hit the plunger and set, started setting the grenade to go off. And he pressed it to his chest, oh. and his buddy hugged him, and, and they blew themselves up. Oh my that, that was their honorable way, you know, their honorable way to die. And... Uh, well, and you're just a, you're just a young kid. You're what, eighteen, nineteen years old, as you saw this. We're we're gonna we're getting close to out of time on this. Tell us just a little bit about building that airfield. Uh, you said you did it in fifty four days. You guys were yeah. working. How how you know how many hours a day were you putting in to make that happen? Uh, well, oh, they were day and night. I mean, they had crews working during the day and a working and a crew working during the night. Yeah. Yeah. And so were they 12-hour shifts or 10-hour shifts or what? Uh, um, precisely, I wouldn't know. Okay. okay. I wouldn't know. And what did you do uh, exactly, Andre, uh, on building the, the airfields? What was uh, some of your responsibilities? Well, uh, really, uh, um, the majority of the work was done by by uh by heavy equipment by bulldozers and graders okay. and uh, the, the drivers were the one who were doing the work we 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 do we would do labor you know i mean uh, uh, uh you know uh, we 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 set up uh, uh an area where there'd be spare parts for for all the equipment, when the equipment, uh, you know, got hurt, okay. um, uh, we do laboring work. We you know, we pick and shovel. We uh, we wouldn't necessarily work on the effort. We could work on the roads. Got it. Got it. And, so. uh, yeah, yeah. So we did laboring work, and uh, you know, uh, loading trucks. You know, you have the loading. 50-gallon drums of gasoline, loading uh, of tires, uh, all, all, that, all sorts of type of logistics, like all getting, you know, food for the for the units. They, they use privates. Okay. You know, that's what the privates do. You know, you don't, we don't do any glamorous <laughs> work. You know, we just do, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, so. Now, and Andre, uh, one other. And then we do patrol work, like what I was doing in this particular valley there. In fact, I tried to go down in that valley when we were there just a few weeks ago, but it's part of the military reservation. We couldn't go down. I wanted to go back there and because I, I don't think it's been developed. And I thought it might be the same just the way it was when we were down there. But it's a military reservation now, and we, there were sentries. They didn't know that's true. Yeah. Okay, okay. We're just about out of time, yeah. but I, I'd like you to share with our listeners what you shared with me about the B-29, when the first time you saw the B-29s coming in. Uh, yeah, well, 
the B-29 was a secret project. Uh, it was a really harsh, harsh project. And uh, um, we didn't even know what they looked like. It, it, they only revealed its existence when they decided to use them. And uh, uh, we heard that they were going to come in. They came in at night. And uh, a lot of us went up there to the airfield to watch them come in. And it was really exciting. They were, they were you know, I think they were, the B-29 was the biggest and the most uh, advanced aircraft, or advanced bomber, I would say. I would specialize a bomber in World War II. It had a lot of uh, advanced gear in it. It had radar aboard, uh, yes. And uh, so it was, uh, it was very exciting because they, they were, they were, they were not painted. They were still all silver, and they gleamed, you know, uh, they gleamed in the night. Yeah, so. Wow. Okay. It was, it, it was very exciting to say to see them come in. Oh, yeah. I bet. And Andre, last question. We are just about out of time. What would you say to the young people of America today? What would be the message that you want to leave them with? Be proud of your country and be proud of the men uh, who served in World War II. Because if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be around. And uh, uh, um, I, I, I think, you know, you in a way, the, the generations that came after World War II, they they do owe them something, you know, uh, for all the sacrifices and, and that they made. I, I think they, you know, you, we owe them. Well, that I, at least to be the best person that we can be. Ah, uh, that's yeah. for sure. We need to be the best person that we can be. Andre Chapaz, yeah. we are out of time. You're 94 years yeah. old, and I know you came in from cutting the grass so that we could do this interview. So, Andre Chapaz, <laughs> thank you so much. This has been such an honor. This is Kim Munson with the AmeriChick signing off. God bless you, Andre, wow. and God bless America. Thanks. Join us next time for the World War II Project and your host, the AmeriChick, Kim Munson. Until then, keep saluting the greatest generation.